So situationship, this is our new series that we're in. And obviously I think Pastor uh, Steph talked a little bit about it last week. And this is basically kind of englobing a lot of the situations that even us as Christians, as uh, people in the world, we find ourselves in situations that hinder us, that distance us, situations that keep us stagnant and that don't allow us to move forward to the place that God has purpose for our lives. And so this is just a little bit uh, of the series and the name, the title of my message this morning is The God Who Restores. Now, there is a name for that used in the Bible, uh, in the Hebrew, and it's called Jehovah Raphi. And it could also be translated as the God who heals, the God who restores. That is the identity. That is one of the characters of who God is. And I'll tell you what, my message, I felt like it was a little bit convicting. Uh, to me, It's I know it's going to be convicting to you, and I know that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. But let me reassure you, this is good news this is good news. It might be uh, tough to hear sometimes things that pull us out of that comfort zone, pull us out of uh, this place that we've been in for maybe um, a long time. But I assure you, God's word is good news. He's the God who restores. There's hope in him. He's the God who heals. Amen. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, and like I said, you know, God's message, even though it can come across sometimes as confronting it is good it is the good news so I'm going to go right ahead to my first point and it is normalizing the abnormal all right I'm going to give you a little bit of context uh, to what we're getting into because I just feel like the desire of the world is that they've rebelled the state of our current modern society is that the world has rebelled against an absolute truth. There is nothing in the world today. Uh, everything is subjective. Everything is, well, it depends how you see it. It depends on your perspective. There's no absolute truth. And so truth actually gives foundation um, to establishing something. And so as, so as the word of God is our truth, uh, we base our faith off of that. And it gives foundation for everything that we build uh, our lives on. Every ideology and conviction, in other words, uh, as what we, what we as human beings believe uh, to be an absolute truth is what gives us that foundation. And the attempt of the enemy has been to deconstruct the truth of God. And when you deconstruct an absolute truth, you are left with chaos. And when you have chaos, that means that nothing starts to make sense. Nothing is true. When uh, uh, humanity was created, we were led by an absolute truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. And that truth is what I'm going to be uh, speaking a little bit about uh, uh, on today. There's a few passages that I want to uh, touch on to give context. And the first one is John chapter 8 verse 32. And says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I'm going to read a few of them and then I'll get a, a little bit onto uh the other things that I want to say, the other is John chapter 14, verse 6, and it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's not a way, he's not a truth, he's not a form of life. Jesus Christ is 
the way, he's the truth, and he's the only fountain of life. And even though the world has tried to deconstruct us, has tried to give us uh, uh, different suggestions to what the solution to our problems could possibly be, Jesus reaffirms that he is the only truth, the only way, and the only form of life. And in John chapter 16, verses 13, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes he will guide you into all the truth he would not speak on his own he would speak only on what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come and so the world obviously under the influence of the enemy under the influence of the devil has chosen to pursue a lawlessness way of living life and a lawlessness way a life deprived of living off of an absolute truth. And funny enough, if you ask society, if you ask our modern society today, if you walk out onto uh, the crowded streets of Young and Eglinton and you ask people, what do you think is your truth about these subjects? What do you think is your truth about marriage? What do you think is your truth about identity? What is your truth uh, about gender? What is your truth about sexuality? What is your truth about humanity? And I guarantee you, that for many of these people, for the majority of these people, their answer would be subjective. It depends. It depends on this. It depends on a lot of people nowadays do not have an absolute conviction. They don't have an absolute truth. And funny enough, <laughs> it's so crazy right now to a point that, um, and it's, it's not that it's just in our time. This has been uh, 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 repeated. It's not a situationship of our time. This has consistently repeated itself throughout history. From the very creation of time, uh, we've distanced ourselves and we've been influenced by the many voices around us that have confused us, that have drawn, uh, uh, that have brought about us questioning of the absolute truth of God. From the very garden, when the serpent approaches Eve and he says to her, if you eat of this, you will be like God. You will be, uh, uh, your eyes would be open to seeing and you will be like God. Surely you will not die. And so from that moment, uh, uh, it starts with Adam and Eve and then obviously moves on to, to, the, uh, to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. Um, throughout history, we see them drawing away, them uh, fleeing from the presence of God and finding from themselves truths that are not the truth of God. And funny story, I was at, uh, at a doctor's appointment, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and I was getting an allergy test. So by the way, now I'm, I've, I know I'm allergic to uh, shrimp and lobster, uh, which sucks. Aw, thank you. Yeah, it sucks. Because um, I, I actually used to love shrimp and not so much lobster, but I loved shrimp. And so every time I went to uh, get sushi, I would always get shrimp. And now, obviously, um, I can't. I did have an allergic reaction a couple years ago. Anyways, not the point. I was getting, um, so I was getting the test done for my allergies. And at the end of the appointment, the doctor said, I don't know, she, she said something. And I said, yeah, I'll talk to, like, I'm going to talk to my wife about it. And, like, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know. And she said, wife? And I said, yeah. Like, I'm married. It's here. <laughs> and she said, oh, my God. And I'm not kidding. Like, she was, I'm not emphasizing. Like, she was really, uh, she was blown away by the fact that I was, wow, you're married? That's amazing. Oh, 
wow, I would love for my son to be married at such a young age. How old are you? I said, well, I'm 26. Oh my God, you're so young and you're married. I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I met a woman. We both kind of served God and we knew her purpose and we kind of knew where we were both headed. So I didn't really see a point of like just kind of, you know, lingering on for too long. And so I believe that marriage is a plan of God uh, for family and for our generation. And so we went ahead and we did it. And it was the best decision uh, of our life. And she said, wow, you don't see that nowadays. You don't see young people uh, convicted of a truth and like getting married and stuff. And she was, I thought she was about to cry. Like your eyes were like tearing up. I don't know. I say, hey, it's just marriage. But <laughs> if God is if God is talking to you, if God is, is ministering to you, amen, okay? Um, and then another story was I was getting my hair cut uh, the other day. And then a buddy of my, uh, the guy that was cutting my hair, because uh, now Adam is my main barber, of course. He's, all right. My, yep. Can we give it up for Adam? Let's go. Yes. All right. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there, buddy. So it wasn't Adam that said this, okay? But I was getting my hair cut before with uh, with a different guy, and I was at the at the barber shop, and yeah, it wasn't Adam. I'm not gonna, all right. But I was saying something, and he said, "Oh yeah, me and my girlfriend, this, 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 this." He said, "What about you?" I said, "Well, yeah, me and my wife, this, this, this." And then this girl was uh, doing, uh, she was cutting somebody else's hair, like right next to us, and she said, "Did you say wife?" I said, "What is it with these people, man?" Like. Honestly, like, what is it? I said, wow, like, you're married, you're so young, like, that's crazy. If my friends, uh, uh, if I got married, my, think, my friends would think I was nuts. I said, wow, like, how lost is our society? Like, how lost is our world from uh, an absolute truth that grounds us, that gives us foundation, that gives us purpose, that gives us a sense of direction? How uh, uh, far, how distant uh, are we from this? from this truth and in fact the world hasn't just deprived itself uh, from the truth of God but they've normalized the very things that God condemns and oh man it hasn't just normalized it it romanticizes it the world and I just pray I was, I was praying last night as even I was delivering this message as, as the Holy Spirit was uh, pressing this word onto my heart and I said God would you just uh, give me a gracious way uh, to deliver this message because like I said, like some of these things can be realistic things that we struggle with till this day. But it's like I said, the end of the story is good. He's the God that restores. That's why I put that title. He's Jehovah Raphael, the God who restores, the God who heals. There is hope. There is a hope beyond these situations. There's a hope beyond uh, uh, the lossless, uh, 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 this sense of, um, lack of direction and so some of these things and it was just coming to me prostitution has been romanticized in our generation only fans like it's a thing now and it's the world approves of it pedophilia is now being studied as an illness as a disease gender ideology <laughs> And things that we see and that the world has poured onto these people as a sense of um, you just do what you got to do. Or you just uh, uh, um, 
make the decision that you think is right. It sprouts from a root from the garden where Eve was deceived, where the enemy said, surely you will not die. You make your own decisions. You will become like God. And so in the same sense, the world hasn't just normalized, but it's romanticized with these things. And so even if you've gone through these things, or maybe you find yourself in that situation today, I want to tell you, maybe this lack of sense of purpose, this lack of direction, there is a God that is here today willing to restore you, willing to heal you, willing to fill you with his love and with his spirit. There is a different way. There is a different path. You don't have to stay living this life any longer. And the world continuously has tried to rob the evidence of the transformation of the gospel. It's given us these normalizations of the things that are abnormal to try to prove uh, uh, to the world and to try to rob the evidence of the transformation and the true power of the love of Jesus Christ that we've known, that we've encountered, that we've been transformed by. And so... <laughs> um, even us ourselves, I'm not just talking about the world, us ourselves and the Israelites throughout history, we found ourselves sometimes in the same situation, being so influenced by the many voices of the world. And in that sense, even normalizing the things that we know from God to be things that distance us from the principles of God, to be the things that distance us from the truth of God. And we start to accept half-truths of God and start to accept what the world has uh, uh, been portraying onto us because we don't want to uh, hurt their feelings or we don't want to, you know, confuse them or we don't want to confront them. But I tell you, and I've said this before, when you withhold a truth from somebody, you do more harm than you do good. And you know the truth that will set them free. I read it already. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what we want for the world is freedom. What I want for you today here, maybe you're struggling with this, I want you to find freedom. And so my second point is um, mercy that triumphs over judgment and in James chapter 2 verse 13 it says that mercy triumphs over judgment and so I'm just going to touch base a little bit on the book of Hosea and it's a book that I was reading uh, and God was pressing into my heart to talk about um, kind of well a little bit of the whole book of Hosea to be honest uh, we're not going to read all the chapters or anything like that, but I'm just going to touch base on a few of the chapters and give context to uh, this book. And this was roughly about uh, 500 years before Christ, and the prophet Hosea was used by the Lord in Israel to minister to the Hebrews, to minister to the people of God that had constantly and consistently tried to find solutions and remedies to numb their pain, to heal their wounds in the surrounding nations and the nations that were enemies of God, nations that built idols uh, for other gods that were not the God that we serve. And Israel was constantly influenced by these surrounding nations. And you can see the pattern in our society too, how many times the church itself has been greatly influenced by the world around us. And what we do... Uh, 
many times in church has great effect from the influence of the world in us. And so this was a pattern throughout history. And the book of Hosea uh, talks a lot about this. And it's funny because you see in the book of Hosea, God's wrath against Israel. But at the same time, he's dwelling in his heart for his compassion towards Israel. And we know what the final answer is. We know what the final result is, that mercy triumph over judgment. And so, like I said, they saw in the world what only God could give them. They found, they seek for healing where only God would uh, be able to heal them. And so, in Hosea chapter uh, 7 from verses 8 to 11, says, and God used, uh, by the way, God, he addressed the people of Israel from the names uh, of their tribes. Uh, and so Ephraim and Israel, Judah. And so just so you, you understand a little bit of the context behind this. So he says, Ephraim mixes himself with the people, with the people's is Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength. And he's talking about Israel's involvement with uh, uh, with the world and the consequences that come from this involvement. And he says, strangers uh, devour his strength and he knows it not. Great hairs uh, are sprinkled upon him and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor speak, uh, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt and going to Assyria and I'm going to read out of chapter 5 verse 13 in Hosea as well it says when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound then Ephraim went to Assyria which was a, a, a nation that worshipped a God that was completely different that was completely uh, opposite to the God that had freedom from Egypt and he says and sent to the great king but God says to them but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. But God, in his ever so slow to anger character and gracious and compassionate love for Israel, he says to them in, in, in chapter 11 from verses 8 to 9, he says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like the Zeboim? My heart recoils within me and my compassion grows warm and tender. And in Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, Israel, uh, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you your words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. In you, the orphan finds mercy. And like I read in chapter uh, 11, verse 9, he says, my heart, the Lord is saying, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. The Lord's desire in that moment was to punish them, was that his wrath would be upon him, upon them. But when God was struck with wrath, he chose mercy. And God, in his ever so abundant grace, today he is still choosing that grace through the blood of Jesus Christ that we would have access to him. 
that we would not receive this judgment that we deserve. And he hasn't, uh, 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 beyond the mercy that he's given us, beyond uh, us um, freeing us from the punishment of sin, he's given us the grace, the gift, the undeserved gift of approaching his presence freely. Amen. And I'm going to jump to my third point. This is God's desire for his people. It is a people in his image. God's desire is to restore a people that would be evidently living a life reflecting the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a society that is so dark, that is so broken. In Matthew chapter uh, 5 verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of this world. Amen. Church, salt doesn't get lost in food. Salt gives life to it. The light of the world that God has instilled in us, the light of the world that God has placed inside of us, the Holy Spirit is not a light that can be deemed, is not a light that can be covered. But he says that it is like a light, it is like a city placed upon a hill. That all would see it, that all would be impacted by it. Darkness is actually not a thing. Darkness is actually just the very absence of light in that atmosphere. And so when you place a light, even if you turn off the light in your room, but you have that little light on your TV still on, suddenly that room starts to brighten up. Suddenly your eyes start to catch onto the surroundings uh, uh, where this light is projecting itself on. And in the same sense, the Lord has called his people. His desire is to restore his people for the glory of his name. That is the Lord's desire. Not that we would be influenced by the world. Not that we would be uh, drawn out to living a life that is comfortable for the world to be in the church. But that the world would be confronted by the evidence of an absolute truth that saves, that restores, that heals, that can free you this morning. Amen. Are you with me, church? Hallelujah. All right. Amen. The Lord does not just restore a society. He does not just restore cities. He doesn't just restore marriages. He doesn't just restore relationships. The Lord restores people that restores relationships. The Lord restores people that restores uh, relationships with their fathers. The Lord restores people that restores parenthood. The Lord restores people that restores marriages. The Lord restores people that restores society. It is the people of God and the people that God is calling to that he is wanting, that his desire is to restore and there is only one reason for God's restoration, and it is for his glory and for his praise. After the brutal exile of Israel in uh, 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 the nation of Babylon, uh, over the people of Israel, a man named Nehemiah in the Bible, uh, about 500 years um, before Jesus Christ, he was granted access by the king of Persia to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, walls that were destroyed by Babylon, uh, walls that were destroyed by the kingdoms that fought against the people of God. And so Nehemiah uh, rebuilds these walls that 500 years later, Jesus would march in riding on a donkey. 
And the city cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes the Savior. Because the Lord, the Lord just does not just restore for the sake of restoring. He restores what he then uses for his glory and for the purpose of establishing his kingdom. He's restoring a people and he's rescuing us from a society, from a modern society culture to instill in us a kingdom culture. A kingdom culture. It's not what the world, you know, if, if, if we were going to lean on what modern society culture preaches to us, then that means that uh, next week I'd be celebrating darkness with Halloween. Because that's what it is. Halloween is darkness. They celebrate death. They celebrate darkness. It's not a pretty thing. And I'm sorry to call you out on this, but I'm not sorry at the same time. Because I know the truth that will set you free. And I know that many times we'll say, well, this is just a part of our culture. This is just a part of who we are. Yeah, well, back in Brazil, we have carnival. And you know what carnival means in the Latin translation? It means feast of the flesh. And it's a cultural thing in my country. But darkness prevails on that day. It is the day where there is the highest uh, uh, indict and, and record of sexually transmitted diseases, the highest indict of abortions, the highest indict of uh, unprotected sex and perversion and prostitution. And that's what it truly is. It's a feast of the flesh. And so if I were to abide to uh, the modern social culture instead of abiding to the truth of the kingdom culture that God is rescuing his people into for the glory of his name. Amen. That is God's desire for his people that he will restore us to be evidence of the transformation of the gospel. Everything the enemy has tried to rob. But I tell you, I stand as a testimony that I've seen it in my life and I see it in your life and I know that God can do it. He's still working miracles. He's still healing. He's still restoring. He's still setting us free. And there is hope this morning. There is hope beyond what society tells you. Beyond what society says to you that you can choose what you want to do with your body. We do what glorifies the Lord. We will do what glorifies the Lord. And in that absolute truth, we have found in him foundation and purpose and direction from the Spirit of God. Not just for this life, but for the life, the eternal life that is to come. Amen. The Lord wants to restore the women of Christ in church. The modesty. The purity. And it's funny because when you touch on some of these subjects, people will look back and say, this is old school stuff. This is stuff from back when my parents went to church. This is stuff from back when my grandparents went to church. Oh, that doesn't reflect our society. Well, of course it doesn't reflect your society today because our modern society is not what God has called us into. And so I believe that God is restoring that. God is restoring the virility of men inside the church, the strength to lead, to provide, to protect, to preside. Men that do not run away from their responsibilities, but that are found convicted by their responsibilities in alignment with the heart of God. The Lord wants to rescue to him a people in the likeness of his image for the glory of his name. He wants to restore parenthood. 
He wants to restore his people for him. And I'm going to end up with this one verse. It's in James chapter 1, verse 25. And it says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I want to invite you right now, as I wrap up, I want to pray for you, church. But there's something about our physical posture that dictates our spiritual desire. And we find that in Psalm chapter 141, where David says, let my prayers come up to you as incense and may the lifting of my hands be as if be as of the evening sacrifice what, so what David breaks right now in that moment is this idea that our physical posture has nothing to do with our spiritual expectation for what God has for us no it does no, it does. When we kneel down, when we surrender, when we bow our heads, when we open our hands, when we extend our hands towards the Lord, it's a cry. It's the cry of our hearts being manifested through our physical posture saying, God, we want you. God, we need you. God, restore your people. God, we need your freedom. The world has tried to rob the evidence of the transformation of the love of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we are here this morning to receive from you the guidance and the direction from your spirit. And we, Lord Jesus, want to reflect that in what we do. And so church, I just want to invite you. You don't have to, you, you, you don't have to uh, raise your hands up high. But if you just want to extend your hands like this as a motion to receive. And I want to prophesy over you right now. Amen. I want to prophesy over you today, church. Right now in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Lord God, I just want to declare the restoration right now, Lord God, of broken families, God. Lord Jesus, I want to declare right now restoration of relationships between uh, father and daughter, that has been broken right now, Lord Jesus. We prophesy that we declare this restoration in Jesus' name, God. We want to declare, Lord Jesus, the restoration, Father, of purity right now, Lord God. Lord Jesus, will you cleanse your people? Will you cleanse us, Lord God, of our iniquities, Father God? We declare the restoration of purity, the restoration of modesty. Lord God, we declare, Lord Jesus, the restoration of health right now. We release healing in Jesus' name. Lord God, we know that you are a miracle, God, and that you are still working in our midst, Father. Lord God, we declare the restoration of marriages tonight, God, this morning, God. That you would come in your mighty power, Lord. And in your wonderful grace to restore, to restore, and to restore, Father. In Jesus' name, God. Holy Spirit, be free to minister to each and every heart this morning, God. Your desire for restoration. Allow the Lord to convict you right now. Lord, allow the Lord to minister to your heart right now. Be open to receive 
the word of the Spirit right now to you in Jesus' name. That you will not leave here on deaf ears, but that you would receive the word of the Lord and that this word would transform you. This word would bring you closer to the Lord in likeness to his image. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord.